Hey, it's Alana. And Katie. And you're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Whoop, whoop. What up, what up, y'all? Happy Pride and officially happy summer. If Yay. you celebrated summer solstice on June 20th and 22nd, I believe. Yes. I hope that those celestial celebrations were fantastic. Uh, and welcome back for another episode. Uh, we love being in your ears and connecting with you. And I have to ask, Katie, what's good? Oh, my gosh. Um, for one, I was going to say this later, but I feel like I should say it now. I just came from a work meeting and they were uh-huh. like, we should do an icebreaker. And you know what the question was? What? Pancakes or waffles? Ooh, what and did I'm you like, say? I said waffles. And here's why. Before you judge me. Okay. Waffles, individual squares. You can cut them up. You can do whatever you want. You can put little pieces of butter and syrup in each square or fruit in each square so that each bite has one of everything in it. And it holds everything. A waffle I, holds up, doesn't get soggy. You know what? I I will give you and my mom, who I know is listening because she fucks with the waffle <laughs> heavy. I will give you that. Yes, I am definitely in the pancake group, but I don't have as strong of a conviction mm. as you do. Like you have an, a good argument for waffles. So right now in this moment, I'm a waffle girl. You have okay. convinced me. Yay. You've done it. You did it, girl. Go run to the waffle goddesses and get yours because <laughs> I didn't actually, I've never actually thought about the construction of a waffle and the um, benefits of said shape of waffle mm-hmm. until right now. So, I mean, I think that your head is in the right place for today's episode. And you know what's funny is this was the one question where my entire department agreed that waffles was the superior food. A runaway waffle vote. Yes. Usually we are equally divided on a particular topic, like um, smooth or creamy peanut butter. We are equally divided on smooth versus creamy. What are you? I am a smooth person. We can can still be friends. Yes. (laughs) And then the crunchy versus soft taco shell. Oh. Uh, I would say it depends on the taco. Yeah, I'm not as I I don't know if I have a strong uh, dog in this fight. What about you? I said, well, I'm not a huge taco person to begin with. I like the enchilada or okay, Okay, yeah, the burrito vibe. But I said soft because for me, when I I like the crunchy, but usually I prefer that as like a chip and dip because if I bite into a crunchy one, then the shell just shatters into a million pieces, or I get a sharp pointy edge in my gums, or Some other thing happened. So I always say soft or if I could choose something different, I could have chips and I could just dip it and scoop all the filling out and eat it that way. Clearly today's topic is is like rubbing off on you. Like I love this has been like a five year topic in my office. Okay. And it has divided us on more than one occasion. But today, we were in solidarity today on the wall. Okay. Okay. I got one fist in the air. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> and it goes with our topic today. So I was feeling like super pumped coming into this. Like, I just talked about this literally an hour ago. I feel And ready. here we are again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
let's get into it, shall we? Yes. Yeah, so if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. And uh, that was a long spiel that we did, but we are happy to have you here in this <laughs> long introduction. Kick back, subscribe, relax, so that you don't miss another future episode, another future tangent, another future ramble that we will definitely go on. On the uh, Apple Podcast app, you can follow us by hitting the little plus mark, the little uh, down and across mark in the upper right hand <laughs> corner to follow us. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, which is my preferred method, hit ah. the follow button. And Alana, what are we talking about today? Well, Katie, I think that your opening ramble, which I don't think was a ramble. I think it was right on the money for where we're at for any listeners to get their um, salivary glands and their Ooh. belly ready for this conversation. Because whether we like it or not, Katie is back. Whether we like it or not, is resurrected from the pandemic ashes with a vengeance. <laughs> people are not going to stop enjoying it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was under the assumption that there were only three meals a day, but on the weekends, this is the furthest thing from the truth. There are, in yes. fact, four meals yes. a day on Saturdays and Sundays, and sometimes my wallet can't handle it. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Katie, we're going there. We are blabbing about brunch on today's mm -hmm. episode. Specifically, we're going to talk about uh, how brunch became gendered as a female meal. Yes. So with those, knowing that, I have to know, where, what's your stance on brunch? Do you brunch? Do you consume the fourth meal? Mm. I want to know. So the, the short answer is yes. And I will explain my long history with brunch because it is a very long and fun history. <laughs> so I grew up celebrating Mother's Day every year at a tea shop, which was also kind of like a historically preserved mansion of sorts. And cool. so they had a tea shop where they sold tea and, uh, and like anything that you could ask to have at a tea party. But they also had a dine-in option. So you could like sit in, dine-in, eat there. And wow. it was like a whole seven-course meal. It was, hmm. they had the salad, the soup, the sorbet, the scones, the sandwiches, the quiche, the desserts. Wow. They had all of it. Yeah. So I was like, why would I not want to go to this place that served me seven meals being all Fair. fancy for Fair. $35? I'm taking it. <laughs> exactly. And so that was a tradition that my mom and I did every year. And then oh. in college, my roommates and then my friend and his roommate would have brunch every weekend together. And mm. my friend's roommate was um, an up and I would say an up and coming baker at the time. Hey. Was always trying new things, was always making new breads and, and other pastries. And so we were like, yeah, bring it to us. We'll try it. And so we always had brunch together. So that was something that I grew up with. We would all each of us would make something. We'd all bring it together like a potluck style breakfast. And we call it brunch. And um, so, yes, I do like brunch. I okay. love brunch. I am all about the sandwiches, the eggs benedict, the waffles, the french toast, the cinnamon rolls, the bacon and sausages, the omelets and scrambles, the scones, orange ah. juice, apple juice, coffee, tea. I am all about all of it. And I know I didn't even include everything. I apologize to the muffins <laughs> and others, but those are just some of the things that I love eating. And I am all about the sleeping in. And then I'll sip my coffee in the morning until brunch. <laughs> then I'll eat everything. And then I will snack 
throughout the rest of the time until I get to dinner. So it gives me an excuse to just keep eating and like losing <laughs> my way through the day. <laughs> and eat all the snacks and not be like, oh, you know what? It's it's 11 a.m. We cannot go to McDonald's for breakfast because now they're only serving lunch. Mmm. I also, I think it's fair that our listeners know that in all of this brunch research and brunch talk, Katie and I both forgot that it is a Wednesday. We are <laughs> recording this in the middle of the week. We both had brain farts where we thought like tomorrow is Saturday and brunch, here we come. Um, it's super so it hot a- out too. I was like, is. brunch and yeah. weather. It, uh, okay, okay, okay. I'm not thinking hot of like the time. bougie, like under the umbrella... Uh, well, I Enjoying. so I'm not a bruncher. Okay, I don't tell me brunch in any way. I just I stopped eating meat at 13, and so from oh, a very okay. young age, when you don't eat meat, you very quickly discover that breakfast is oh. very much for meat eaters and people who oh. love like the sweet carbs. Oh yeah, and which is great. There's nothing wrong with that, but kicking off like. For me, going and getting breakfast at a diner was always like a stack of pancakes, please. And I was mm. always like sort of left wanting. So for mm. me, with when it comes to brunch, I'm really the unch end of brunch. Like, I, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I got, I got you saying. Truly, truly. Like, I'm much more of a lunch person, mm. like a late lunch that bleeds into happy hour. So you kind of get two yes. meals in one and yes. don't have to mess with dinner. Like, I'm much more on that wavelength simply because breakfast food is just not my jam. Got it. Also, I used to work at a really busy barbecue restaurant. Ooh. And I worked the brunch shift for four years. And I think I have PTSD mm-hmm. from brunch. There's a lot of stress of brunch. It's it's like when it comes to restaurants, brunch, I know that brunch service can always be a little bit lacking because it's so busy, because it's such a popular meal that I, I just never want to try a new restaurant in that way under those circumstances, mm-hmm. especially as someone who like isn't really into breakfast or brunch anyways. Like I'd much rather just give my seat to someone who's like, fuck yes, brunch. <laughs> Then someone Give who's it like, to me. <laughs> yeah, then someone who's like, meh, you know, brunch could take it or leave it. But also, like, mm. I think I've long like put brunch in the category of after church. Oh, yeah. Right, which is always like 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 coffee and like donuts and styrofoam cups or Mother's yes, Day because it feels like everyone holes. brunches on Mother's Day. Everybody, literally. <laughs> Every single person. <laughs> and in terms of the gendering, um, I do remember there was an episode of How I Met Your Mother where someone was like, dudes, don't brunch. And for some reason, I had never really thought of it in that gendered way until that episode of How I Met Your Mother. And now, in no way was I a How I Met Your Mother watcher. But that soundbite has always stuck out to me as like, dudes, don't brunch. And I'm like, oh, I guess. I that's guess so it's interesting. A yeah, it's 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 strange, and we'll get to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, not a brunch hater, uh, just a lunch happy hour dinner preferer. Mm. Can I say <laughs> one? Can I say one more plug? Yeah. So the reason why I that the reason why we came up with this episode was inspired by a song that someone had made, a dude uh, that does include does include gender all genders in the song Hmm. but they 
redid the song Jumpin' Jumpin' and they instead made it Brunchin' Brunchin' and it's from um, our, it's from a Seattle radio show. So that's, cool. that's how I found it years ago. Um, uh, but that's where it came from, where he literally was singing the song Jumpin' Jumpin' while listing every brunch food. Item. Yeah, every brunch <laughs> item, every possible brunch scenario, like being hungover and like going out to the club with your girlfriends the night before. And then, you know, wanting to eat the meat or the drink the mimosas and the Bloody Marys and mm-hmm. being bougie and all the things. And so that's why we are here. We are. Episode. So we're going to talk all about brunch and how it became a gendered meal somehow uh, over the years. But first, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, shall we? Let's do it. So for any new listeners, this is our small business segment where we encourage you to vote with your dollars, diversify your dollars, shop Asian, shop black owned. Uh, This is the part of the show where if you want to still engage in some form of protest, everyday protest that is available to all or at least all that have enough money to spend on something, uh, you can do it by spending money. You can vote with your dollars to see change. You can vote with your dollars to support people and businesses that you deeply believe in. And so in this segment, we spotlight a black owned business and an Asian owned business that we love, think is interesting, think is cool and want you to check out. So with that, Katie, what you got? So mine is Densho, D-E-N-S-H-O. You can find them at Densho Project on Twitter, which I feel like we haven't really mentioned Twitter before, but yeah, actually, yeah. you're right. <laughs> um, they have no Instagram, but they have Twitter, so we go with Twitter. Oh. Um, Densho is a nonprofit preserving the history and sharing the stories and oppressions of Japanese Americans during the World War II Japanese incarceration camps. So from their website, quote, Densho is a Japanese term meaning to pass on to the next generation or to leave a legacy. The legacy we offer is an American story with ongoing relevance. During World War II, the United States government incarcerated innocent people solely because of their ancestry, end quote. So their mission evolved to educate, preserve, collaborate, and inspire action for equity through digital technology documents and testimonies from Japanese American individuals and families. So this is a nonprofit that my family and I donate to annually. It is super important to us and to our future generations to preserve the stories and oppressions that Japanese Americans faced during World War II, because quite frankly, no one is really teaching about it in schools. Real. Go back, go back to our education month. <laughs> we did yep. mention that. Mm-hmm. And yet it's such a big piece of our American history. And it really wasn't that long ago. And it's something that I feel like is often forgotten and is something that we need to preserve and share and keep going forever and ever so that we don't forget because they didn't suffer for nothing. Not that we should even say that, but totally. No, 100%. And, and you and I know good and hell well, if it's up to the white history book writers, they will not be including that in future history books. Mm -hmm. And so let's preserve our history. Let's not have white people uh, rewrite or erase our history. Right. Yes, for sure. Uh, I chose Alafia uh, on Instagram and across the socials. I think I should say it's uh, at Alafia and Alafia awful offers <laughs> sustainable fair trade skin and hair products for the whole family from shampoos to face washes to body washes in large sizes at affordable price points. Mm. The company's products contain high quality ingredients like shea butter and coconut oil and authentic black soap. Mm. That's just made to design. It's just designed to pamper your skin and make it feel good and soft and supple 
And the company is on a mission to reduce poverty by empowering women. That's so awesome. Alafia, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like, check this out. <laughs> Alafia has provided 12,000 jobs to women across central Togo. Wow. And product sales also help fund the brand's uh, foundation, which gives back to the African communities that harvest their main ingredients. Uh, their African black soap has been a mainstay in my showers throughout the years uh, from college all the way up until me sitting here talking to you. I love their lavender ylang ylang body soap. I buy it mm. in the vats, either off their website or off of a website called the Vita Cost, which makes it a little bit more uh, cost a little bit more affordable. Mm. Um, I love their product. I can't speak of it enough. I love that this section is full of things that are close to your and I's heart, Katie. So mm. I will drop links to both of these companies in show notes. And let's talk brunch, specifically the history of brunch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Grubhub and the Smithsonian Mag, oh my gosh, say <laughs> that the word brunch first appeared in 1895, which I didn't think it was going to be that long ago. But Me neither. 1895 in wow. a publication by Guy Berenger called Hunter's Weekly. Berenger felt tired after long, large, traditional post-church meals and suggested possibly something lighter, you know, breakfast with a little lunch flair, oh, so to speak. Oh. Which, which I also thought was interesting that it was, for being a feminine event, that it was uh, a guy who came up uh -huh. with the word. Yeah. <laughs> but, in, uh, in Hunter's yeah. Weekly, no less. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, quote, brunch hit big in America in the 1930s via actors making their way across the country from New York to California by train. During these publici publicity tours <laughs> for their upcoming movies, they would stop in Chicago for their beloved meal. It's midday timing allowed them to sleep later, which was an especially exciting selling point, end quote. Hotels were quick to jump on this idea since most restaurants were closed on Sundays because of church. And then during World War II, when church attendance started declining, People were looking for other opportunities for social gatherings while also being able to sleep in. So restaurants soon joined in creating the signature morning cocktails we all know and love, like Bloody Marys and mimosas. And then the rise in brunch being on Sundays in particular came from women. Stanford University professor Carl Degler said in a 1980 Chicago Tribune article Quote, after World War II, large numbers of American married women entered the workforce for the first time. Married women needed a relief on Sunday, too, thus the rise in popularity of Sunday brunch eaten out. End quote. They also went on to say that Sunday became a really important um, day and I guess only time of day that families were able to eat together during the week because of the work and the rise in industry and women going to work. Interesting. I, the one thing I want to circle back to, and it's always my gripe with brunch, is how come you can never get an actual alcoholic beverage during brunch? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> like, no, you I get don't Bloody drink. Marys and Mim Oh, okay. See, I've always been like, how come I can't get a gin and tonic? How come I can't get a Tom Collins? Like, how, can I, mm. how come I can't get liquor besides vodka in a Bloody Mary, which I think is starting to change, but it was always one of my little gripes. Like, I'm an adult. I would like some liquor, please. I don't care if it's 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. It's brunch, right? Don't judge. Maybe because it's like they're the exception drinks. Like, you can have this before this time because it's this breakfast drink. I see what you're saying. 
I see what you're saying. And then you'll be judged if it's not or something. Uh, I see, you know, g- give me the liquor and I'll take the judgment, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, how would, they, how would they know? I mean. Well, but and also it feels like people get really drunk during brunch. Oh, for like, sure. Bottomless mimosas. I'm sure someone somewhere has a bottomless Bloody Mary. But like. Sherry's had a mimosa something going. A mamosa for Mother's Day. Oh, 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 look at that punny play on mm-hmm. words. Yeah, I just sort of feel like for as many people as I say getting drunk uh, at brunch, like no one's getting drunk off of what feels like liquor. So right. again, 11 a.m., 11 p.m., you're here and, and and feeding people alcohol. Give us the liquor. Anyway, t- total tangent. <laughs> I totally digress. Now we're going to talk about how brunch became feminized. And it has a lot to do with Mother's Day and women's mm. lib, just so you guys know. So in this next section, we're going to hear a lot from a woman named Farha Turnikar. I hope I am pronouncing that right. And when I say we're going to hear from her a lot, I mean a lot. She is the author of Brunch, A History. And oh feels like she's the only game in town when it comes to hardcore brunch research. So <laughs> hats off That's to you. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, you cornered so the market. <laughs> right? So to start off, uh, it was actually difficult to find hard research on the gender and sexuality among those who brunch. Oh. I mentioned sexuality because through our research, it was quickly brought to our attention that brunch was not only labeled as a girl thing, but also as a gay thing, too. Yeah. And in her research, Turnicar noticed anecdotally and through media representations that it is portrayed as a heterogendered event where, quote, the ladies who lunched in the 60s became the ladies who brunched in the 80s. And we later saw this depicted on shows like Sex and the City. Mm. Quote, the way the American media represents brunch, which I'm not sure is so accurate, is accurate that brunch is something that is still gendered and classed. Oh, yeah. There has been no sociological study actually looking at men versus women brunching. Brunch doesn't seem to have firm limitations and is as gay as it is straight, attended by middle class men and women of all persuasion, end quote. So that being said, it is important to mention that brunch is rooted in a feminist tradition. You know, that whole taking mom out for Mother's Day brunch. Mm hmm. Well, that ritual is closely linked to women's lib. Okay, tell me more. So for decades, taking mom out to brunch on Mother's Day has been a longstanding part of time-honored feminist tradition. Now, look, I get it. Before you roll your eyes, and believe me, (laughs) before I do too, hear us out. Yes, dining out on any major holiday is a choice, especially since the experience can be hectic. The -hmm. service can be questionable due to all the hecticness. And the overall event may not always be as pleasant as one would hope. But Katie's going to lay some knowledge on us right now. Oh, and I totally just responded to you sounding like I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, tell me more. And then it's me telling. <laughs> it's me saying it. But anyway. I love just, it. I love uh, it. We'll just pretend that didn't happen. But <laughs> it's not being edited out. I love it. It's just real and inhuman. And I'm just obsessed with that moment that we just had. <laughs> so as per uh, NPR, the right to dine out in public during the day was an early victory of the women's rights movement at the turn of the 20th century. Uh 
said by Lisa Stoffer, the co-author of Repast, a book that examines the dawn of modern dining during that era, which I was also not aware of until I did this research. But right. um, quote, it was part of a larger set of changes in society that accepted the idea that women could be public people. Oh, <laughs> what a thought. Right. Wow. And <laughs> some of the early lawsuits around women being able to eat in public without chaperones. Oh, my God. Came from mm. people involved in women's right, voting rights. End quote. Said by Stouffer telling the salt. Um, now, don't get us wrong. Women still met up with other women. They still had social gatherings. They still had all the things. Watch all of those historical fiction. I mean, we've been watching Downton Abbey. Watch Ooh. all of those things. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the white women having all this drama. But, oh um, <laughs> and they still met up. They still had social times. They still had tea, lunch, meeting at each other's houses, playing bridge, knitting, sewing, croquet, all the things, right? But the idea that a woman could be seen out in a public setting like a restaurant without a man was considered taboo. It was frowned upon at the time and was viewed as disgraceful, funny enough. And mm. if you were a working class woman who was going to a bigger city looking for employment opportunities in factories during that era, and you happened to forget your lunch from home, your options were pretty scarce. Mm. And as Stouffer writes in Repass, quote, few, if any places were convenient, affordable, and met middle class standards of feminine decency, end quote. Yeah. And consider this. You basically had to choose between your reputation or nourishment if you needed lunch during a workday. Yeah, Mm. there were the quick lunch counters that we, we are familiar with, but they were often crowded. And the risk of being crammed as a single woman between members of the opposite sex could be viewed as shameful. Mm. Quote, upper class ladies had a few more options like tea rooms and department store eateries, which catered to moneyed women. But if they wanted to dine at the finest restaurants unchaperoned, oh, my God, I hate that word. They were out of luck, too. And forget about going out alone for a night on the town. Uh, Any woman of ill repute did that. So, end quote. And that's from an NPR article. Going along in that article, in the midst of the suffragist movement, feminists of the era decided enough was enough. According to Repast, in 1907, Harriet Stanton Blatch, daughter of famed suffragist Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and a woman's leader in her own right, and Hetty Wright Graham sued the fashionable Hoffman House restaurant for refusing to seat them. Though an all-male jury found in favor of Hoffman House, right, not long after, a New York assemblyman introduced an ultimately unsuccessful bill that would have allowed women, quote, equal accommodations with men, end quote, in public areas, revealing a shift in public perception. There was no single turning point in the fight for equal dining, but by 1908, Stouffer writes, keeping women from eating out with a male escort began to, quote, be seen for what it was, an antique, preposterous, and ultimately untenable custom, end quote. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. And that means that the link between women's liberation and daytime public dining became reinforced with the rise of brunch in America beginning in the 1930s. So from, uh, so quote, from the 1930s to the 1970s, brunch was being marketed as a meal that was saving time and money, end quote, because it essentially combined two meals into one. And 
Oh, I'm sorry. Because it combined two meals into one, says Farah Turnikar, author of The Brunch A History that we just talked about. Most of this marketing, she says, was seen in an explosion of brunch cookbooks and new food products, hoping to get mom to try out a new ingredient or recipe. So it was around post-World War II that people began loosening up these social morals and brunch started to really take a grasp on things. Specifically, Sunday brunch, attending church on Sundays was becoming less of a thing, which meant you could party harder on Saturday, sleep in on Sunday, and start the day with a late breakfast that cut into traditional lunch hours. This was great for restaurants and hotels who pushed for brunch as a way to get more business because you would be extending hours until like 3 or 4 p.m., and by the 1950s, brunch had made its way into the home. Yeah. Turnicar says Americans didn't need to have form- three formal meals on Sunday anymore. And serving their family brunch, followed by a light supper later, was seen as liberating for women, she says. It meant one less meal to prepare at a time when married women were typically spending two hours a day cooking Ugh. and cleaning. This compares to about five hours a week today, just for a little bit of reference. Mm. And speaking of liberating, that was one of the driving messages behind the advertising of brunch on Mother's Day. The idea behind the marketing was basically treat mom to a morning off from her normal morning chores of cooking and cleaning. She deserves a break. It's it's Mother's Day. You know, do it for mom. They should have just done three meals. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because re- in thinking about that, I was like, okay, so you liberated her from the first meal of the day and the, the opening chores of the day. What about the rest of the day? Is she working? Yeah, it just means that you made brunch so that you could be lazy. Right. And push so the So you didn't together. have to clean up after it. Uh-huh. Yeah. We see you, patriarchy. <laughs> we see you. I know. I remember also... Um, before I say this this next bit, I also remember when I was pregnant, um, they talked about having like five small meals in a day instead uh-huh. of three meals. And it's like, how can we never talked about five meals? What's going on there? <laughs> why do we have to have this these is three, the episode. <laughs> why do we have to have these three formal meals at these specific times in the day? Sure. Why can't we just have five meals whenever we want? Yeah, five small meals I think is actually just like healthy like it's healthier for you i've read somewhere and yeah 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 exactly but but no we like our three meals a day and four on the weekends Mm -hmm. yeah anyway that was just my my little tidbit but uh (laughs) but even women who are not mothers were getting down with the brunch of it all so brunch became an expression of women's liberation quote by the 1960s ladies who brunched were often the ladies who worked monday through friday end quote uh, the weekends are when they got to socialize and spend their hard-earned money, says uh, Turnicar. And for single ladies, brunch also provided an excuse to bend long-held social norms. As the longtime Cosmopolitan editor Helen Gurley Brown wrote in Single Girls Cookbook, published in 1969, hey, quote, brunch is a wonderful way for a single girl to entertain, end quote. It almost kind of rhymes. 
Yeah, it does, actually. And actually, that book, Brown's book, Single Girls Cookbook, was kind of a big deal at the time. Uh, Turnicar says Brown's book gave young single women permission to partake in daytime drinking through brunch cocktails like the mimosa and brazenly included recipes for gentlemen callers mm. who may have remained from a date the night before. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Mm. Indeed, a, quote, newfangled, end quote, meal unburdened by a long history of rules and etiquette. Brunch was the perfect position to break social norms. And actually, okay. while we're on the topic mm. of cookbooks, I I wanted to know what cookbooks uh, looked like and sort of had to offer women back in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Oh, my God. There's a whole meme about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. I felt like it was very necessary research and. Specifically, I wanted to know what their breakfast and eventually brunch sections looked like mm. to see, um, A, like what the typical dishes were, like what was the typical brunch uh, sort of spread in the 30s, the 40s mm. and the 50s. And was also sort of interested in um, the etiquette of it all, since it feels like brunch was very steeped in etiquette when it first um, hit. Mm. And. I did notice something interesting. So it felt like cookbooks of the earlier decades, your 30s, mm -hmm. your 40s, your 50s, we'll go like generously mid 60s, okay. were less about teaching how to cook mm -hmm. and more about suggestions on serving and entertaining tips and like food pairing tips. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was much less um, instructional the way that cookbooks are today. Today, mm -hmm. you can pick up a cookbook and it's like you need one, you know, uh, a one cup of cooked rice. And then it'll have a little asterisk and you just go down to the page and it's like, here, here's how you make rice. But actually, cookbooks back in those days were much more instructional about how to entertain because the assumption was that women knew how to make all of these dishes already. Women didn't oh. need instructions about how to prepare whatever brunch or breakfast dishes of the time were hot and were quote unquote expected to be on the table because that knowledge, women were expected to know how to cook. They were expected to have been taught by their mothers and grandmothers. And so the need for teaching how to prepare dishes mm -hmm. wasn't as necessary. It was more about how to entertain, assuming that the person who's, who's looking at the book doesn't have uh, entertainment chops, so to speak. Yeah. But as we get closer and closer to modern day, obviously the books became more instructional mm -hmm. because it was almost like the cookbooks were being liberated. As, as women's <laughs> was happening, so were the cookbooks because we we loosened up this assumption that women are just these uh, these these big vats of recipe knowledge and can make everything at the drop of a dime. It became more instructional because women were going out into the workforce mm -hmm. or maybe not becoming wives and mothers. Or just fucking didn't want to know how to cook or didn't want to learn how to cook or, mm -hmm. you know, wanted to develop, wanted to dedicate that brain space to other things. So just a, a little tidbit that I wanted to throw out there because I found it interesting. Um, but I did want to circle back to something that Turner Carr said in her book about brunch being a classed event. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about the economics of brunch... And she uses this quote, it does feel like, quote, a mode of consumption for the middle class. Mm. So she mentioned in her book that the consumption of fashion of, or fashionable items is closely linked to identity. 
And food has become another way to consume or, or to um, uh, project the identity that we want. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So what she says is because people are, are on this mission, specifically those who have the, the economic mobility to uh, project the kind of person that they are, project what kind of morals and values they stand for, brunch has kind of become a substitution for that mm-hmm. where you brunch says a lot about who you are similar to the way that oh. maybe your clothes have a lot to say about you maybe People the do sort of dress up for brunch yeah and that also is an extension of like whatever leisure activities you choose to participate in those are all modes of of a middle class that's either has a lot of disposable income or is in some way mobile Mm-hmm. And she cites the foodie as an example of this. You know, your oh yeah, so-called foodie who like hashtag foodie, yeah, the, right? Or the or the foodie that only eats authentic food. Mm-hmm. You know, the foodie mm-hmm. that's going to go to. I'm I live in Los Angeles, so for me, um, a foodie like who 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 will only eat the most authentic tamales are going to go to East LA and get their tamales and eat them on a street corner because that's what you do, like. Mm. Those kinds of of people are signaling their identity um, in a way that brunch has sort of allowed. It's it's one meal that has allowed people to do so. Right. And if you remember back pre-pandemic, it always it kind of felt like every city had their own like hottest places to eat brunch, mm-hmm. hottest bars, <laughs> all of that stuff. And all of that stuff is a really aspirational cultural capital pursuit, Turnicar says. Yeah, we were known for cider. Yeah, but I also kind of like the way. <laughs> so there was a funny article on Vice about brunch, and I sort of like the way that they sum up what brunch has become. Okay. And this article says, quote, unfortunately, brunch has become synonymous with upper class yuppie assholes and urban <laughs> <laughs> More than any other dining experience, the leisure and excess of brunch types that typifies the gaping divide between America's haves and have nots. A low income ethnic neighborhood is not truly gentrified until it has a trendy destination that experiments with kale. A beautiful meal that consists both bacon and alcohol has been ruined by the afterbirth of our culture's rapidly escalating class conflict. And it's true. Like, yeah, if you think about it, breakfast, not brunch, but just breakfast as a meal is the cheapest meal of the day. You can affordably eat breakfast for five or ten dollars or less. Yeah. But brunch is so pricey and it only feels like it continues to be more pricey. Mm hmm. Therefore, being cost prohibitive for certain people who just don't have the disposable income to spend on brunch and then couple with that it can be time consuming not oh, every sure. brunch place takes reservations which ch- really chaps my ass for the record i'm a reservation <laughs> maker i will not go to a restaurant if i cannot make a reservation i refuse to do the, the you wait. know show it, it, when it's like one in two hours and you're talking about brunch at the start of the day i mm-hmm. have no uh, I have no patience, but and a lot of other people who don't have that kind of disposable time, because that's also what that is, tend mm-hmm. to be lower income people that don't have the disposable income or the disposable time. Yeah. And 
finally, and I love you, Katie. This you're not one of these people that I'm talking about. You ever notice how sometimes the brunch crowd people can be like whack people? Oh my gosh. Like a brunch person is like is generally someone I don't want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. For a, a, a myriad of reasons. People who who brunch as a verb, I'm often quite irritated by um maybe the word is elitist. Like there's a lot of sort of elitist. Yeah, like there's a lot of that happening. Yeah. Oh, like in brunch communities. I know it definitely happens in my area and other surrounding areas. I don't know. It is a thing about brunch. Brunch has a, a certain elitism that like dinner doesn't or like lunch doesn't. And I don't understand it. You're feeling bougie. You're feeling super confident. Maybe you're a little hungover or drunk or something. And Maybe. you start treating the servers terrible and Oof. you start May. making messes. Girl, I can't handle it. But I'm just I'm just saying like brunch has become gentrified in one way or the other. So Mm -hmm. just a thing to note. But I think the moral of this story is brunch is for everyone. Brunch can be for everyone. Yes. Yeah. If you want to brunch more power to you, because at the end of the day, if you brunch, you're supporting a feminist tradition. And that's how we really want. We we yeah. really just want everyone to be feminist secretly. Yes. We're, we're yes. doing Bell Hooks's work now that she's no longer with us. Yeah, um, I know. We had to All right, bring it up. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but that's our show, guys. Uh, we hope <laughs> you liked it. Are you a brunch? Do you brunch? If you do, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us. We are on the social on the gram at black and yellow podcast or you can also send us an email podcast black and yellow at gmail.com to give us your thoughts or just say what's up or you can find us individually on the gram i'm alana however on the gram they call me at renegade of fun and i'm katie and on instagram you can find me at dis villain scholar also the real question is are you a pancake person or a waffle person? Ooh, we want to know your thoughts. Full Do you circle. like a smooth surface or all the nooks and crannies? <laughs> Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We will be back next week. And for now, stay cool, y'all. It's hot out there. It's so hot. Woo! Even stay in hydrated. Seattle. <laughs> it's 100 over here. That's hot for us. Y'all stay cool and hydrated and wear that SPF wherever you are. We'll be Mm -hmm. back next week. Bye, guys. Bye.